The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone, I'm Akka19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, live on the number one amateur sports podcast in the country, Port Fan Radio. We're joined once again by the lovely Porsche. How are we? Ah, oh, look, I just want to start off by saying what a magnificent contest we had on Sunday. Um, only really lost in the final moments, but I reckon we had a really good crack, maybe lacking the movement and flair that might have gotten us over the line. But look, I thought it was a really solid effort and something to build on in the future. Mm. But really, with a competition like this, you know, it's really all about the community and the friendship that you inspire. But, you know, nevertheless, well done to Danny M and congratulations to the Ukraine on winning Eurovision. That's it. Well played. Mm. Well played. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be planning that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going down the demon's path, but uh, yeah, I like that surprise as well. So that's good. The demons didn't win either, so I had a bad Sunday. Mm. (laughs) Not a great weekend. So Porsche, we are the number one amateur sports podcast in the country. How does that make you feel? Nervous. That's that's what (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest, nervous. It makes me very nervous. Absolutely. Uh, I've kept our figures a secret until uh, the end of last podcast, and then you got uh, a little bit shaky, so this is good. Yeah, pretty much. I'm shaking right now. <laughs> it's good to keep you on your toes, I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Look, a huge thank you has to go out to all our contributors on Port Fan Radio, and of course, all the listeners as well, four years ago. Um, Rick and myself wanted to make a podcast about Port. Look, we would have been uh, pretty happy if we got uh, you know twenty or thirty people listening to it, but uh, you know it's turned into a network of uh, multiple excellent podcasts now about our great club. So uh, a massive thanks to everyone involved um, who's contributed in in getting Port Fan Radio into the ears of uh, more and more Port fans. Yeah, look, um, my part in it's only been fairly small, I think, but um, I really hope the people out there are enjoying it. It's, apparently, it sounds like they are, so that's good, and. Um, no, personally, I just enjoy venting a little bit um, by speaking. That's quite nice. <laughs> Love a vent. It's nothing like a vent, I reckon. It's great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Look, before we get started, of course, there is the uh, the competition to announce tonight for the uh, two locker room tickets as well. Um, mm. I have drawn the winner. I've done the random sort on Excel, so uh, I shall announce that uh, after the AFL review, which we'll do uh, a little bit later on, so... Something to look forward to in about, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes time, I guess. Yeah, um, I hope that it's a, a worthy winner that can make it to the game. I think that's the main thing. As long as they can make it to the game and have a good time, then I think everyone will be pretty happy. It's a good win for all. That's it. Now, enough with the positives. Uh, let's talk about the games on the weekend. So, let's uh, get into our sweet <laughs> and sour. One thing we found sweet. One, we'll keep it to one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide on the weekend. Uh, Portia, do you want to start us off with your sweet? Uh, it's a really tough one. I guess Darcy Byrne-Jones not falling in a heap with everyone else. And honestly, I've got another weird sweet in that I found it kind of satisfying. Um, so when you lose to a club like Hawthorne and you need Hawthorne fans, then Hawthorne fans are just dickheads and, you, you know, you just like it makes it worse, right? Or if you lose to Crows yeah. fans at a Crows showdown. But the atmosphere in the Blues game was actually really impressive. I was really surprised by it because, you know, even though there were three goals down, none of them left early. I didn't see any people streaming out at all. Mm. Uh, They were all really intense and they were really hungry for that win. And, you know, if you lose against a team that is playing like they want the win, even though they're not really all that great, 
and the fans are really desperate for it. Like when you lose, you just got to say, yeah, well, good luck. That's, you know, we didn't deserve that and you really want it. So I guess in a way it worked out. Yep. So that, that's kind of a, that's a weird sweet. It's a bittersweet, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. That's mm. fair. Oh, I don't mind Carlton supporters. They're all right. Uh, I think that as soon as they're up and about again, I'll hate them again. But right now, while they're still on the path of redemption, I'm pretty okay with them. Mm. Look, Dylan's uh, going to disagree with you there on the chat. He said uh, this is the total opposite of the truth. There was zero noise until the last 10 minutes. I don't know where he was sitting because I was surrounded by him. (laughs) (laughs) Look, my suite, uh, I guess it's a personal one. I took my uh, oldest son to the footy for the first time on the weekend. So that was uh, something that was pretty sweet. We only lasted a half at uh, Woody Woodville Oval. Uh, went home after the halftime break, but uh, yeah, he had a good time. Got to kick the footy on the oval, and yeah, you know, he he yelled out to go port about fifty times. So yeah, it was a pretty special day. That one. Yeah, I think people always remember the first game they went to. Um, I remember it, but I didn't actually enjoy the football at all. What I remember doing was um, it was at Prospect Oval, and I remember there was a hole in the fence, or some of the fence had come away, so I was helping other kids sneak into the game, basically. <laughs> but I remember it. <laughs> Cheeky. Look, robbing, robbing North Adelaide of money is uh, totally fine with me. I know. In my first game, I was already doing excellent things, so there you go. Exactly. Look at that. So what was your <laughs> sour this week? Uh, the utter heartlessness of the side, really. Yeah. Just that lack of... It, it's only so far that you can say they're confused, they don't know the game plan, it's confusing. Like when the ball's with the, the opposition, your opponent is about to receive the ball and you haven't been chasing them, like immediately that's... That's you know that's that's your your first year of football, isn't it? Your first game. The first thing they teach you when you have an opponent in a game, I would have thought, is you mm. follow them and make sure they don't get an easy possession. But yeah, that's really it. Just that utter heartlessness. Honestly, yeah. that's it. <laughs> no, that's fair. I guess mine's on the uh, on a similar note. Uh, my sour is uh, I hate I hate the fact that I can't trust our footy club anymore. You know, we're just mm. mentally weak. How do we manage to lose to these teams on a regular basis? It's just heartbreaking. It, it really, really is. I don't want to sound like a, a bit of an old fogey reminiscing about the good times, but the club changed forever when Jack Cale left. Like It just feels like the air got deflated from the tyres after he left. And I'm not saying he should have been kept on or anything like that, but the moment he left, any sense of confidence or arrogance that I had in our footy club just went away forever. And look, I can deal with finals chokes somehow. I can deal with... Uh, one one nine somehow. I can deal with losing a showdown final by 15 goals. Um, I can't deal any longer with us doing a Richmond and losing these games against crap opposition. It, it's something that has infected this club since the latter-day Choco era, and we've never recovered. It's like it's in the wall. It's like salt damp. It's in the walls of the building at the Allen Scott Centre. You know, we had one fleeting moment in 2014 where we looked all right, but outside of that, it's gone. Every year, without fail, we lose these games. Every year. No more. Can't continue. Uh, I would argue opposite. Well, not opposite, but I would argue that we were doing that as the Magpies before we got in the AFL too. It's just that we're right. also winning premierships. Yeah, but, but we're also winning premierships. Like, we always have lost to 10. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, look, certainly we've lost to, uh, to bad teams. We've always lost to bad teams, but... Um, you know, we've also won the games that we should win on a regular basis, and we don't do that and haven't done that for about 10 years. 
that stupid loss to North Melbourne, you go, yeah, okay, we'll cop that. That was a really bad, awful loss. But if you don't, it's the, really the quantity of these games that we're having, I think, is the really concerning part, not the fact they exist, because they'll always exist and they always have, really, mm. in my view. Yep, fair enough. I just don't like doing it every year. Every single yeah. year we lose to well, Brisbane or, you know, how often do we lose to the Wooden Spooner? It seems <laughs> to happen on a, on a yearly basis. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, but who cares when you're a top four side? That's sort of, sort of what I'm saying, you know. Which we aren't. So that's the No, problem. that's that's right. That is the mm. problem, yes. So what was your what the hell moment this week? Uh, I'm going to name a player, but before I do, I'm going to say very clearly... This is a coaching what the hell a moment. Mm. And that's Carl Amon's game, which we might as well just get straight into because I know we have a differing opinion on this. <laughs> okay. Bring it on. I've got the boxing okay. gloves out. Let's go. <laughs> now, Kane, oh, sorry, Carl Amon. I want to say Kane because I just liked his game so much. <laughs> Carl Amon, um, he did not go near his opponent, really, apart from maybe, I suppose, when his opponent came to him. He spent the whole game seagulling, and some of it was good early, but then they worked out they could play through his man, and he just got worse and worse. And that's not a criticism of Carl Amon. If that's what he's instructed to do is to stay in the clear and hopefully be a very outside link man, that's, if that's what he's told to do, it's what he's told to do. And you kind of have to assume that how much of the game he played, he was instructed to do that. So that's why, for me, I, I Carl Amon's form, I, he got good possessions and he did, got, gained a whole bunch of metres and all that sort of stuff, but I reckon he would have given up just as many uh, and probably more valuable ones. Um, so, I, But, again, that's a coaching issue. I think that it's not maybe partially it's a development coaching issue if he's not supposed to be playing that way, but it's definitely a match day coaching issue if he's allowed to play that way. So that's my what the hell. Yeah, look, I've, that's probably fair enough. There's parts of that which I do completely disagree with, and I, and I think... Um, People on the forum are barking up the wrong tree a bit with Carl in this game. I think mm. people seem to think that he was playing on Gibbs or Doherty or, or Cripps or someone for, for most of the game, which he wasn't. You know, he played on Kerridge, who had by far his least effective game of the year. Only had 15 touches. Didn't do much at all. They didn't predominantly play through his man, in my opinion, or down his wing. People keep harping on about the fact that he had just one tackle. Well, so did five other players. And another six players had two tackles. So more than half the team had two or less tackles. Only eight Carlton players had similar for them. But people keep harping on about Carl's performance. Of those that had two or less tackles for us, Carl had 10 contested possessions, the most of those players. In fact, he had the fourth highest contested possessions of anyone in our team. So he was certainly winning the hard bowl. Uh, all this whilst apparently being soft, weak, defensively shit, uh, not tackling, not putting any pressure on. Where's the pressure on Polek? who had two tackles and just four oh, contested he was, possessions. He was he shit house as well. What about our yeah. defensive group? Pittard, Cracker, Impey, Homsch. They managed yep. just one tackle each between them Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Did I think Carl played a great game? No, I don't. I, I rated him a 4 out of 10, which is obviously below average. Um, but he got the ball. I thought he used it well. He kicked a goal. He had five score involvements. For a 20-year-old in his 11th game, I think his output was reasonable, um, and that includes defensively as well. Well, I know it's a number of times I saw him and the bloke that he was just, just had just drifted away from, got the ball, was uh, unforgivable, and they were in key players going the other way uh, that was getting the Blues and keeping the Blues in the game. So, yeah. look, you might be right on the contested stats. There might be a bit of stuff on the other side of the ground. I didn't see where he did get in close, but it would be, given there's no breeze or anything, it would be kind of coincidental if that was the case. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they qualify as contested as well. Um, so that's interesting. Like if it's he had a handball received and then because I got knocked and didn't dispose or he managed to get a, a terrible handball away or something, Maybe that's a consistent possession. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, from certainly watching him, um, his matching up, I think that was a big flaw. But I totally also agree that the forum has been a bit ridiculous, focus on him uh, so heavily. And I like that last mess up in the last quarter where he got tackled. Like, I don't care about that. He's an 11 game player, like you said. It, you know, that's going to happen. Stewie G had his, didn't he, where he had that terrible kick in against Brisbane back in the day. And yep. you know, he learned yep. from it and he came back. So I, that's the sort of mistake I do forgive. If that's a young player, absolutely, it's going to happen. Yep. Um, so, but as, yeah, I do agree he's been unfairly targeted. But mm. just that the idea, the, co- the idea that the coaches are allowing that role is worrying to me more than his actual performance of it. Yeah. Ed Gibbo on the chat has said uh, if you exclude that rundown holding the ball, Amon wouldn't get mentioned. Oh, I agree. I do I agree. kind of agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, but yeah, I agree. Most people wouldn't. Yeah. Look, my what the hell moment. Um, look, I was ready to tee off at Dean Towers and give him a bit of a, a bit of a lull for giving up the ball with 30 seconds left in the Sydney game when he had players to the side and behind him and what should have been an easy win for the Swans, but then our good mate Cam O'Shea turned up with a, a bit of a Guernsey on Sunday and, and decided to play the game. And look, you love, Cam, uh, you love Cam, I love Cam. I've backed him in for years. But that play, with seven minutes left, when Polek created a, a wonderful turnover, um, had th- decided to give it to Cam, who, uh, who ran off, had three players clear running towards goal. And he managed to find the only opposition player within 20 metres of him by handballing behind himself, that's arguably the worst individual piece of play I can ever remember watching, honestly. Dean Tower's mistake was bad, but kicking it down the line 15 metres so it's out of the area has its merits. It's good in theory, but it was just the wrong decision at that time of the game. Cam O'Shea was just... I, I, I can't even think of a word to describe how wrong that was. Oh, that, that's the moment where my love affair with Cam O'Shea has ended for good. He can't play again. To back it up, he made two more horrendous errors after that as well. It's just not acceptable. Yeah, look, um, I've always been a fan of O'Shea and his potential, and he has performed quite well at times. But the reality is, if you look at our depth chart, say, at the start of the year, he was still our, what, sixth, seventh, eighth uh, option for, um, what, uh, halfback flanker. Um, yeah. We were even talking about recruiting Riley Bonner as a superior Cameron O'Shea. Mm. Um, in the, we were talking about the draft before the yeah. draft. So um, I don't think there's any illusions that he's not, earned a spot inside really he's just sort of been gifted one by how we've decided to overload with flankers at this stage um and yeah i agree look he's probably out realistically i I can't defend that yeah I, i just don't understand what goes through a player's thought process when he had west off running towards goal who was completely on his own in his eyesight forward of the play he could have handballed to him who would have then been able to handball to Wingard, who was uh, streaming in front of his opponent. So he was goal side, running towards goal. Like, that should have been an easy goal. Should have been the match winner. Done. Game over. Forget about it. I I don't understand why you would choose to handball behind yourself in that situation. That does my head in. Look, um, this is probably something we're going to tackle later on when we're talking about deeper problems in the side, but... A few times you could see that players were, like in the forward line particularly, that they were sort of doing a thing. But I just, I'm really not convinced that there's any system going forward. So if you're if you're a player that is not used to being in that position, again, not excusing O'Shea for the terrible decision, but if you're a player not used to being in that position and there is no reliability as to what players are going to do or where they might be at any given time, like you don't you don't know the system, 
that's probably on you and it's probably partly on the coaches, then what do you do? You might make a mistake. We saw that a few times in this game where the players were not sure where they were supposed to go. There was one oh, hand pass. I can't remember who did it, but running around the forward line, there was like a three-meter hand pass to Westhoff who wasn't ready and didn't kick a goal. Um, yeah. So how do you know when he's going to be ready and when he's not? Um, there's all these things like that. You know, uh, I don't think they're coordinated at all. There was one piece of really good coordination that I saw, which was so out of character, I assumed it must have been a mistake, which was when Jackson Trango on center wing had that really good kick from right near the boundary up towards center half forward, and Charlie Dixon marked it on a short lead. Uh, yeah. When you looked at it, it looked like all three of the forwards that we had in the forward line at the time had managed to lead their man away over towards the pocket and then had come back. Like That was the only bit of decisive forward movement I think I saw that whole game, and it worked really well, and I'd love to see more of it, and I hope that was planned, but yeah. I'm just kind of worried it might have been a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. It's just a shame with, uh, with Cam because... Look, he was just about best on ground in our two finals in 2013. He had a great final series in 2014. He can play AFL standard football. He can play great football. Mm. But his his swing between his best and worst is just about the worst I've ever seen in a footballer for Port Adelaide. Like It's, it's remarkable how bad he can be uh, when we know how good he can be. So it's a, it's a real shame. I think he, I think if you had, if he were going to name his floor, I'd say it's that he's a system player. Mm. I think if he was at a side that had, you know, all of everyone was sort of settled, he was around, you know, key backmen that knew exactly what they were doing, and he had a midfield ahead of him that knew what they needed to do. He'd actually look really good. There's a few players like that. Um, uh, Harry, oh sorry, Harry Tiamumbo, who got traded to the D's. Like at Collingwood, he was made to look pretty amazing. But at the D's, he's been pretty ordinary because the system hasn't been there to support him. And I think that O'Shea is a worse version of something like that. In yeah. that if we don't oh, that's really. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stockholm is uh, written on the chat forum. Too many of our players just clearly don't believe in themselves and have poor confidence. Um, he's named uh, Need Cracker Tumpus O'Shea. Also, all show obvious signs of poor self-esteem, and uh, we're notorious for having such players. Which I think is probably uh, fair. I'm not sure I understand that as a cohesive group of players. I really don't. Um, I think there's more than that. Like the whole side does dinky little hand passes and tries to avoid possession. I mean, we saw what Paul Stewart streaming backwards at one point doing a little ducking around and he was trying to burn up his opponent and he couldn't and everyone else just sort of stood there and watched him do it until yeah. he hand passed to, I think it might have been Westhoff um, or I can't remember who it was. And they were not in a position or not even moving at the time and you know, ended up being not a great result. Um, I think that that is a sign that you don't have confidence in the system because you just want to give it to someone in the hopes that they do. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's that's a pressure. That's pressure. That's pressure that we're allowing ourselves to have. No, that's also fair. Um, look, we've uh, asked some questions again from the Big Footy Forum and had plenty of good responses. So we'll try and get through as many as possible. Um, Smithy Seven has written in and said the big question: What is wrong with Travis? Uh, look, this is really all we can go on. Number one is that Ken Hinckley said he's not injured. And he said that quite equivocally in his press conference. And if you watch the press conference through the Port website, um, that looks legit to me. Like, I don't think I don't think Ken Hinckley is that good at intrigue. I think he legitimately doesn't have an injury, um, judging by how the way in which he was infuriated by that question, mm. uh, which means it's probably something off-field. And if it's something off-field, then we don't know anything about it. We know he had a breakup. You could theorise it's something to do with that, but it could be something completely different, or it could be something quite serious to do with that. We don't know. It's not worth speculating, but it's not injury. So it's affecting his on-field form, whatever it is. It's a shame it's not injury because you just wish it was. 
in this situation because he's just not himself. That was, that's the worst game he's played in probably in his career. Not only did he only have 12 touches and just look so slow and uh, laborious around the bowl, his direct opponent, Ed Curnow, had an absolute blinder of a game, had 27 touches and was uh, one of the best on ground. So, yeah, wh- whatever it is which is uh, causing Travis to play this way, you just hope it, uh, it solves itself um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and just on that, I'll make a quick social statement without saying anything specific to the situation. But talking about, gee, it'd be easier if it was something visible and physical than potentially a mental health issue. That's a social, such a social issue, isn't it? Mm. That's that's the that's the story of mental health treatment in Australian society and probably the West in general and the world in general, really. Um, is that that's that stigma? Like if he had a if he had a plaster on his arm, no one would ask any questions. But they can't see it, so they don't know it. Um, you know, again, not saying he's got an issue in that regard, but gee, if he did, well, that's a real issue that I suppose, you know, is affecting all of Australian society. Well, look, if he does have a mental health issue, like if he is suffering depression or something like that, then mm. why don't we give him time off? Like if, if he is struggling, he deserves to have some time off. Give him two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, whatever it needs to get himself right. Yeah, but... That's the thing about not wanting to admit that kind of stuff, particularly when you feel there's a lot of responsibility on you. You know, like that's another thing. Like he's the captain. How does the captain say, I can't handle this? You know, that's a huge thing for someone with character to admit. It can be really hard for someone that's got a healthy ego. It can be really hard to admit something like that, that maybe you do need help. So he's going to turn up. If he did, again, this is all hypothetical, but if a player turns up and they're a high-profile player, it's really, really hard for them to say, I can't do this right now without it being something that they physically can't do because of the way we perceive mental health. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dylan's written something which uh, I found pretty amusing. Uh, just let me bring it up. Uh, he said that you just know that O'Shea's going to get delisted and move to Brunswick and live out his days as a barista. He does look like a barista. I need to move to Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. Uh, next question, us against the rest has said uh, our skill level and decision making is way below AFL level. Um, we hear it from Ken in his presses all the time. Uh, the question is why? A uh, couple of reasons, I guess. Um, probably the main one is not knowing the system, really, and not having one, really. Oh, that's what I would argue. I mean, it doesn't affect Pittard, but that's because Pittard's creative. You know, He's not just smart, he's creative. He's able to go, okay, well, this isn't working. Let's do something completely different, which has called him out a lot in the past, but he's learned from that. Not everyone has that, um, this isn't working, I'll try something different attitude. And some players, when they try and have that, they don't have the skills to pull it off or the self-confidence to pull it off. So absolutely, that could be part of the thing. But again, I'd say it comes down to not understanding their role thoroughly. Well, we've never been a really skillful side. So is it just the fact that this group of players aren't all that skillful. They're just below average when it comes to kicking and, and handballing and that sort of stuff. No, I think it's the again it comes down to system because it's like a team play. Like we take no effort at all, hardly any. I've seen it sort of a couple of times on the weekend, um, where we just don't do enough make enough effort to make it so that our players kicking can kick the ball freely. But we saw it at Carlton, Carlton the other way when I've been complaining about and some a player we'll talk about I guess later on. Jake Need, how is the only one chasing? Now, I saw him absolutely put enough pressure on one of the Carlton players kicking forward that it became a turnover, intercept mark to Homsch. Now, there were a number of other play- occasions when he was chasing and no one else was. And so Carlton, they released to the free player. The free player knew he had no one on him and he had time to collect himself, kick cleanly, and they had a, a good progression of kicks. 
because no one was really putting pressure on and they got through the forward line. Whereas by comparison, whenever we went forward, Carlton were pressuring us. They were manning up. They were making it harder for us to get it. Mm. So, you know, that can go both ways. Uh, it's just we saw it only go one way and we saw that, that pressure go against us and not for us, uh, yeah. in my view. Uh, Zach Wild has written in and said, uh, can we start doing a road to the draft segment as we get to know the top end of this year's crop? My answer to that is yes. I don't mind having some involvement in that, but not yet. Um, I find yeah, it very I, hard. I would yeah, think I it would be after the uh, the championships that we would start doing that. Yeah, but also it would be after I had some vague confidence we won't just trade out our picks again. I know we have to use a first-round pick, but if it's like pick, what, 18, 20, 21, it works out being after zone picks or God knows what else. I'm not real excited. <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, Monkey Tongue Man has said, uh, are the coaches going to drop a big name this week or is it just going to be the usual fringe players who will be the first to go? Uh, it depends on what you mean by a big name. Are we going to drop Trevor Spoke? No. Why would we do that? That's dumb. Are we going to drop one of the other players that are in that maybe 5 to 10, 15 range? Maybe. But I don't think dropping a big name for the fact that they're a big name is really all that valuable. I think it wouldn't. I wouldn't surprise me if Pollock got dropped. But then, who have we got to replace him? You know, mm. um, <laughs> yeah. I, it, we've not. We've got no depth. We've got no depth. So what do you do? Yeah, there's not much coming through um, in the reserves, unfortunately. But oh. I don't know. There was there was plenty of senior players who didn't really have good games. I mean, Pollock was poor. Ebert was poor. Um, Ebert's been poor a few times this year, so he might be. Yeah. In the gun, but um, you would think it would be the likes of uh, O'Shea, maybe Cracker, maybe Archie, maybe Amon that are going to head out the side this week. Yeah, like even even with Ebert playing with terrible disposal efficiency and all that sort of stuff, there's no one we could bring in that will play better than him. Yeah. Yes. Um, Harwingard has uh, asked uh, a bit of a long question here. Uh, what? Mm. Um, what do you guys think of Nathan Cracker? He seems to play for us similarly to the way Dustin Fletcher did at Essendon, basically not leaving the goal square and nearly always being the last line of defence. Uh, can we actually afford to play him in that role? Was he just particularly poor yesterday or is this always the way he plays? Uh, I feel like this is one of those swings and roundabouts things where only a few weeks ago we're complaining about having endless Joe the Goose goals kicked on us. Yeah. Um, so... Playing any player in a sweeper role is probably not a bad idea when you're copying such fierce criticism and being so exposed by these sorts of uh, kicks. Um, whether that's a, a, um, a cracker thing or not, I don't know. Um, I still think he's got a lot of class and you still see him pretty... When he's got the ball, he's really steady. You could make an argument that he's not doing enough off the ball or enough to win the ball himself rather than just sort of get it when it's a kick in or given to him by someone else. That's probably the case you might have there, but... As far as him being useful in the role he's playing, I think he, he probably is at this point. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what he's doing out there. Like For me, just yeah. watching the games the last three weeks since he's come back into the side, he's just pretty much just been standing around doing nothing, to be honest. Mm. Um, where's the, the running, creative Nathan Cracker of last year who yeah. thrilled us all, who uh, made us really thankful that he that he got himself right and was, was back playing for Port Adelaide again? Like That's just completely gone. Like It's... It's yeah. like a, watching a completely different player out there. And maybe that's just because um, maybe someone like Burn Jones is in the side who's taken that sort of role over. And uh, Pittard's in great form. And, you know, we've got Stewart and O'Shea who also rebound and obviously Broadbent and Impey as well. But I don't know. For me, it's it's not the Nathan Cracker that we need in the side at the moment. Him just sort of standing around doing nothing 
doesn't help us at all. Well, I mean, I think this comes into a broader issue with the side as well, which is that we have, right now, we have so many players that are exhibiting one dimension to their game, even the ones that have more to their game than that. Like, they're just doing one thing. Yeah. Um, like, they might be okay forwards, but then defensively they do nothing. Or in Nate's case, the opposite. He might be really good defensively, but he's just not getting it on the board forwards. You know, we've got Cracker, who is, he likes to take a nice, neat kick, but he's not really chasing the ball as much as he should be. Mm. You know, um, we've got all these really one-dimensional players. I, right, I reckon we might even be at the point where we've got so many defenders in that it's actually making it hard to make the team effective because we've got so many... We're still splitting, what, five, six roles among seven, eight players? Yeah. Uh, and, and they're not adding the extra elements to their game that they should be to justify doing that. Are we playing Cracker before he's ready? Is he still sort of suffering from fitness issues or something like that? Because he really is just playing as a as a dead back pocket. He's not being played up forward. He's not getting a run sort of on the wing or anything like that. Mm. Look, we could be. I don't know enough about Cracker's form. That's a coaching thing. But mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we, if I wouldn't be. We should have less defenders, uh, running defenders, running brackets, running defenders in the um, side than we do right now. Um, so if someone has to go, it doesn't necessarily have to be Cracker in my opinion. It could be all sorts of people. It's obviously going to be O'Shea, really. Yeah. Um, and maybe that makes the everyone else's defensive roles like, okay, you've got more on you again. Uh, and it gives them that opportunity to do more again as well. Um, we don't know what their instruction is. Yeah. Uh, next question from uh, Portmanteau, who was asked, uh, have we fostered dumb footy with our brave ethos? Uh, the primary ball winner seems to be making the release kick, whereas other teams are linking up laterally with handballs to release a player who is then able to deliver the ball forward. And Dylan 8 has asked a similar question as well. Why can't we get numbers around the pack for lateral or backwards handballs um, that were a staple in our running game um, circa 2014? And for that, I actually think we've, we have been trying to play that. We certainly were in the yep. first sort of four or five games. It's only really the last two or three where we, we've really sort of stopped doing that. Um, certainly against the Crows, we were trying to handball it out of the stoppages. And the issue that we had there was we were sort of going handball, then another handball, then it was turned over. So we were actually trying to do that. We were just really, really bad at it. I think the main issue is that we don't have a plan B for that. So what what you have is so you've got someone extracting. Let's just arguably say it's Ollie Wines, and he hands it off to someone. Now, if he's having trouble handing it off, maybe there's an extra guy blocking him that the person that is not going to receive it should be in there helping out rather than just continuing to stand around nearby and go, oh, that didn't work, which is what happens currently a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. Um, there's, there's that plan B, like what if the set play isn't working, what do I do then? Um, like that's really important in every sport and you know particularly when you talk about set players you talk about a sport like NFL um, they always have alternate options for if this happens or if the ball doesn't come your way or whatever else and we I think that might be part of it we, we're not either either that is we're not good at the plan b or our extraction has no method and it's just yeah. opportunity well, I think it's probably the latter then our, uh, our plan b and our extraction does have no method well, I agree 100% that. I think we're too reliant on someone like Robbie Gray, who is able to win the clearance and break yep. free yeah. and sort of run off and deliver the ball forward all in the one play without having to sort of dish off handballs and get it on the outside because he's able to get on the outside himself. I think we're far too reliant on that. Um, and when he's not in the side, like like we're obviously seeing at the moment, then we do break down in that area. And maybe that's a Voss issue. Maybe that's a structure issue. Um, I'm not too sure, um, but I do agree with uh, the sentiments of Portmanteau and Dylan 8 in those questions. Yep, fair enough. Yeah. 
Um, Harwingard has also asked her, where has Paul Stewart been since 2010? Is his form now as good as it was back then? Um, and has he been pretty unlucky to be moved out of the back lines in that time? Nah, I don't. I didn't see anything exceptional about his game, did you? I think he's... Um, I thought he had a pretty good first half. Uh, really fell out of the game after that, which a lot of our defenders did, I thought. Um, he's obviously in, in pretty decent form at the moment. He's doing his role really well. He's not really getting beaten. Um, uh, is his form now as good as it was back then? I don't think it is. I thought he was a, a pretty crucial player back then. Was he unlucky to be moved out of the back lines? I think the premise of trying to turn him into a, a big-bodied midfielder was fair. Um, unfortunately, he got injured um, and missed pretty much the entire season that year after the first sort of four or five games. Then he played up forward, played pretty well up there, and uh, as I guess he's been sort of uh, in limbo the last couple of years. But um, I do like him down back. He's, he's a good defensive player, provides good run, and, and can use the ball well. So he's pretty much a better version of O'Shea. Yeah, at the moment, for sure. But I don't think he has that same top end, really. No, probably not. He's, he's, uh, his ceiling is a lot lower than uh, a couple of other players in the side in that role. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in a terrible side, he's good enough. Um, but I think that if we were performing or we required him to play against you know, a top-quality opposition, I think he'll get found out in two seconds. Yeah. Uh, Rising Power has asked why the lack of confidence in kicking for goal from set shots. Examples are Need and Westhoff. And to that, I would answer the fact that Westhoff and Need are terrible set shots at goal. So that's why they look to dish off. Yes, um, absolutely. Mm. Yes, it's straightforward. And, <laughs> hey, look, it's really straightforward, and also um, you're more likely to get bagged for a miss than for not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you're worried about being dropped, and I know that that's needs concern. It's not West Ops, obviously, mm. but you know, mistakes cost you games. Really, you don't get not you lose the games, but also you lose the opportunity to play the games if you have too many of those. So yeah. you know. That yeah, piece of play in the last quarter with a, a couple of minutes left where Westhoff, uh, I can't remember if he took a mark or, or got the free kick on, on the 50 and decided to sort of set it up at the top of the square instead of have a, a real shot. How did you feel about that? Because he, he copped a lot of criticism on the forum about that. Um, he knows how far he can kick. So, you know, mm. he's not a long He's not a long kick. Westhoff's not a long kick. He's a tricky kick, but he's not a long kick. So he, wasn't, he was never going to kick that goal. So he had to do something. Should he have had a shot anyway, so it sort of went over the line and gave us a chance to set up defensively? Um, it's harder to do that now, but I guess when you're kicking for goal, they're not likely to call deliberate when you miss the lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he could have done that. Look, I guess it was probably... That's a pretty old-fashioned thing to do is kick to the top of the square and it didn't work out for him. I don't know if he thought someone was going to be there. They obviously were not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, look, that one didn't really concern me all that much. Mm. Uh, we've had plenty of uh, talk in the chat. Um, I can't get to it all, but uh, Dylan has just said, uh, Need reminds me of Dirk Kite at uh, Liverpool towards the end of his tenure. Sort of a headless chook running around for little effect. And uh, There is a bit of that with Needy at the moment. He's sort of running around. I'm, I'm not sure it's um, effective running. He just seems to be sort of chasing tail a little bit. Um, what do you think, Porsche? Um, look, I think Needs run is something that he's the only person in the side that's uh, supplying regularly. Uh, his actual game when he has the ball has been pretty poor. Certainly last this week it was really ordinary. Um, 
and for that reason, because they don't see the running off the ball he does, that everyone's been dropped. I kind of think this comes down to when we talk about the team um, team values. We've talked in the past how it looks like Hinkley's trying to trying to set up a team value where your hard work is rewarded. Um, and I therefore I still wouldn't be too surprised if Need stayed in the side, because if no one else is chasing you and you want to drop the only guy that is, you know what you're going to get the next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 it. Regardless of his own performance, he's almost a mascot, which sounds stupid, but he's almost a mascot for hard work in the side right now, which you know sides can't carry a mascot, but when you're this bad, maybe you need one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's fair as well. Um, Johns has asked the question of who are your untradeable players come October? Ah, I, I, I saw that question. I actually planned a list. So and did I. So that's good. <laughs> okay. Mine's my must keep. My, my, and they're not, they're, they're must keep. Obviously, you know, if there's an eagle on offer, you think about it. But my must keep is 15 players. 15? Wow. I've got yeah. eight. Okay. Well, mine probably includes some players that you probably think you'd consider a trade for. Yep. So my my keep is so I'll do the the ones that are just like they're too young to really consider a trade for us. First of all, so that's Riley Bonner, Aiden Johnson, Dougal Howard. I think he's shown enough that I wouldn't just trade him up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would probably have Darcy Byrne Jones, Jarman Impey, Ollie Wines, Jimmy Tumpus because when he just got him, Jack Homsch, Chad Wingard, Jasper Pittard. I wouldn't trade Tom Clurry, uh, Charlie Dixon, Travis Boke, Robbie Gray, and Paddy Ryder. Okay, they're my they're my keeps. So who, who did I name that you didn't? I've got nine, sorry. I've got nine. I've got uh, okay. Boke, Robbie Gray, yep. Charlie Dixon, yep. Yep. Chad Wingard, yep. Ollie Wines, yep. Jasper Pittard, Jack Homsch, mm. Dougal Howard, and Riley Bonner. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't think we'd get a trade for Aiden Johnson, but I wouldn't delist him, so I had him. I yeah. just put him down as a keep. Um, I think we only really differed on a few. Paddy Ryder, did you have Paddy Ryder as a keep? Nope. Oh, okay. I would keep, but that's okay. Um, the reason I'd keep him is that even if we're not going to win a premiership in the next three years, we need to have an effective ruck for the team to now configure around while we get that new one in. So that was my rationale behind keeping Paddy. Yeah. Look, obviously, Paddy's uh, a crucial part to our side, but I'm at the moment I'm fretting about how he's going to perform next year after a year off. Um, whether his head's yeah. going to be in the right place, whether he's going to get injured... Um, are we going to put all our eggs in the Paddy Ryder basket and he's going to let us down? Um, and to be honest, I'm still really bloody filthy about the fact that um, he got himself suspended for 12 months. Yeah, look, um, I guess I'm trying to... I'm being more um, actuarial, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. But the reality is that Paddy Ryder, any other club's going to have the exact same concerns about him that we do. Mm. Um, as to whether he'll come back with the right attitude, you know, is he going to be up to it, blah, 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 blah. But unlike them, I no longer consider that we're a premiership threat in the next few years. So I think it's we're, it's more value to us to have a, an actual ruckman that we know can win contests. Yep. And maybe, maybe if you can't, I think there's more value to us to keep that around so our midfield can learn to play to that rather than trade him off and then continue to train our midfield to, to have a very highly inconsistent ruck set up. Yep. On a similar path, uh, a question from Russell Lee at Handball. How many players do we remove from the list in September um, if we end up missing the finals? And he's yeah, listed no, 10, 12, or 15. 
I had a look because there's actually a really handy file on afl.com.au called it's under review-2015 retirements and delistings. Yep. And of the team's delistings last year, so we thought we delisted reasonably. I, I didn't. I thought we could have gone heavier. Mm-hmm. There were only, what, four clubs that moved on fewer players than us last year, and that was Hawthorne, St Kilda, Sydney and the Bulldogs. Um, three of them clearly had no reason to move on heaps of players. St Kilda argued we could have. Yep. Um, we only moved on, and I'm not counting Kane Mitchell because we redrafted him, we only moved on nine players last year. Yep. Um, you look at a team like, uh, let's see, the team that just beat us moved on 15. Um, <laughs> you know, So at that top end, that's Carlton. And admittedly, look, they've had some turnover. They've had players that played against us that are actually better than some of our players that they got in that big GWS bundle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reckon we could comfortably delist around 12. I would say, delist slash trade slash retire. Um, I reckon that would be quite achievable, but I don't think we would be replacing them all with draftees. I think there would be some coming the other way as well. Yep. I've made a little bit of a list for this one as well. So I've got, uh, at the moment, uh, six players delisted, which is uh, Kane Mitchell off the rookie list. I think Hewitt is 50-50 as well, but uh, we'll keep him for now. Uh, Senior list, I've got Jay Schultz, who's going to retire. I've got John Butcher, I've got Cam O'Shea, I've got uh, Bobby Carlisle and Sam Cahoon. Mm. So they're the definites for me. Um, okay. Possibles, I've got Monfries, who I know we spoke about last week and I said that he's definitely going to stay, which I, I think he will, but I still think there's... He's obviously a possible. Um, I think Paul Stewart's a possible, Tom Cleary's a possible, Matty White, Jesse Palmer and Sam Gray. We're not too different. My different is I've got Matty Lobby. Yep. Yep, that's um, fair. I think... And, um, and, and Jake Need too, actually. Yeah, Lobby's uh, probably one I've just uh, accidentally overlooked. He'd certainly be uh, added to our list. Or to mm. my list, sorry. And I've got Need on that list as well. And I think I've got Logan Austin, because it'll depend on how he develops. And Billy Frampton, again, depending on how he develops. So basically, I made a list if not tradable, and a maybe-to-list conditional who we lose and gain. So yep. you know, if we don't pick up any Ruckman, obviously you keep Billy Frampton. If we pick up two Ruckman somewhere, then you go, well, maybe we can get rid of him. Um, so, you know, it really comes down to what we do in trade week. But the, the list I had pretty much, I don't want to see him at the club again, was um, lobby. And it's not always in bad form, just like if we are in the stage I think we're at, we there's not a lot of value to them. There's probably lobby Westhoff I've got on that list. I, I really, I don't see that he's going to do enough to justify being around for a lot longer. I would love to trade him off, even if it's for like a fourth round pick, if we have to take that. Okay. Um and that's probably the only point of difference. I think pretty much we're the same on everything else. The other one I had down here potentially is Ali Paddy Carlisle. Um, but for me, I had Ali Paddy Carlisle as a maybe because I think we should look into trading one of Trengove or Jonas. Okay, that's fair. Mm. I had Bobby as a definite just for the fact that um, we're going to need to put some game time into someone like Cleary or Austin pretty yeah. soon, I think. Um Cleary's one of those sort of players that obviously you would want to keep, but he seems just to be in this sort of um, constant limbo at the moment. And if he doesn't get much game time this year, A, is he going to want to stay and Mm. hang around? Or B, is he actually in the gun to be delisted? Well, that's really the question, isn't it? Um, What we've seen of Cleary at AFL level so far has been okay. Um, I think that if we look at next year, like having key defender options of one of Jonas or Trengove, and Homsch and potentially Cleary, or if we're not, not happy on Cleary, then maybe have Carlisle as a backup 
and we draft a new one, I think we're doing okay for key defenders because mm. you know you don't often need three actual tall matchups these days, not often, um, and probably not very often at all if you're not a top eight side. Yeah, look, it's tough on Bobby Carlisle because I love the guy and I think he's had oh, yeah. a great career. Um, I think he's still an important player and I think he should come back in this week. Um, but he's out of contract this year. I don't know. It just sort of seems like he might be the sort of player that we might look at moving on. I think he's the sort of player that in back in the day you might consider keeping on as an experienced player that you know you can call in and also to be part of that Magpie side marshalling the next generation. Yeah. Um, so I could see that you know that sort of role available to him, like old Tom Logan in his last year. Yeah. Um, that's Only fair. one year contract, but yeah, something like that I could see. Maybe yep. even a Deliston redraft as a rookie or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's definitely possible. I'd I'd be happy to do that. Mm. Uh, Johns has also asked the question: Do you still want to make the finals? Um, oh, if you can, you still want to. Um, the reason, for, not not because you want to, but also. If we've made the finals, then it means that some of our players have picked up their game and it probably increases the trade value of the ones we think are not going to keep it up. Yeah. Or the ones that we think are only good when the pressure's really on on the coach and they think, that, oh, I've got to keep my list spot, um, then that's great because it increases their value. Um, but if you're looking at purely like, oh, is our first draft fit going to be amazing or not? Well, it's not going to be amazing. Um, what's going to happen is even if we lose a whole bunch of games, we're still going to finish, what, fourth or fifth bottom? Um, GWS or Gold Coast or God knows whoever will probably have two or three picks before then so we're still going to be looking at a, like a late top 10 pick in a best case situation and it won't improve yeah. our second round pick because we've already traded it away so yep. the value of us tanking is quite low at the moment in my opinion Yep, yep you always want to make finals which uh, Stockholm has just said on the chat forum as well um, of course I want to make finals it also feels like a year where one of sort of five or six teams could win it and maybe someone might snag a flag so you always want to be in it yeah, well, again, it's another reason it's nice to make finals is because then you can sort of dictate a little bit who makes it and who doesn't. Mm. Um, we'd love to have another dream showdown where even if we lose, the Crows go all out and then they can't go any further. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, what, that's what really happened. Like, you know, Crows will think, ha-ha, we smashed Port in that final. But really, I feel like we were the moral victors because they went so hard. They were so worried about winning that one that they fucked up their whole final series. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, look, let's move on to our review. Um, we finally got there. It was a disappointing round for Port Adelaide. Uh, we lost to Carlton by two points, 13 goals, 13 to 14 goals, 9. Uh, Justin Westhoff, Chad Wingard and Charlie Dixon with the multiple goal scorers with two goals each. Uh, the match swung on momentum a few times, uh, but Port found itself uh, 18 points up halfway through the last quarter uh, before Carlton came home with a wet sail and uh, kicked the last three goals of the game to, uh, to sneak home and uh, take home victory. Uh, obviously, Porsche, you were there. Do you want to tell us a, a little bit about what happened out there? Yeah, uh, look, I think that if I was going to sum up you know, very briefly, it would be that Carlton wanted it more. Um, they should have, if they were if they were a balanced side and they hadn't had that injury to Casbolt quite early, um, they could have won comfortably. Um, they were just trying and they had a lot of opportunities, but they just were not able to finish it off. Their forward line is, was pretty weak without Casbolt and, you know, we, we had enough in defence to frustrate them a lot of the time. Um, watching the match, like, apart from the first 10 minutes or so, it felt it was one of those matches that felt like we were losing for, like, three quarters of the game, even though we maintained a lead for pretty much all of that. Um, yep. it, you could just see that we were just somehow hanging in there and not through sheer effort, but just through dumb luck as much as anything uh, with occasional sparks of a player deciding, oh, I know what to do here, uh, and maybe getting a goal or a good forward play or something along those lines. Um, 
yeah, there was a lot of a lot of little moments that just were enough spark to keep us ahead. But at the end, when cut and could smell blood, the fans were all up, and we were just sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, that loss seemed inevitable, um, yeah. really. I was working yesterday, so I didn't get to watch it live, um, and I accidentally found out the result um, <laughs> before I got home. Um, so I went in sort of knowing the result, taking the emotion out of it. Um, I already sort of was able to sort of swear at myself um, in the car on the drive home uh, for about 10 minutes, so I got all that out the way. Um, so being able to watch that sort of game um, without that sort of emotion of watching it live and what's going to happen... Um, it was pretty interesting, I thought. I, I didn't think we actually played all that bad for, for much of the game. I thought we did enough to sort of keep in front, and it just looked like one of those games where we just sort of still win by two or three goals and pretty uninspiring, but just did enough to win. Um, but obviously, we made a lot of mistakes in that last sort of 10 minutes. And as you said, Carlton did smell blood, um, and they were just a lot more efficient um, and able to, uh, to get the job done at the end there. Yeah, look, there are a few times in the game where you sort of think, oh, yeah, the next if we get one more goal, that'll do them in. Yeah. But we didn't get that one more goal. That's <laughs> you know? right, um, yeah. That was it. Yeah, we were trying to play. Like, the sort of game we played was really reminiscent of those games we used to play under Choco, where late in the season we're in top first or second position on the ladder and we just want to grind out a win. It looked like we were trying to grind out a win, which we should not have been trying to yeah. do. It looked like you're going through the motions game. Um, yeah. Which is disappointing because, again, it gets to the sort of mindset of the players, you know, everyone. And it gets to that sort of fear factor again, as I spoke about um, in my suite. You know, we're, we're not feared. We, every nah. team that we come against knows they can beat us, which is very disappointing. Um, you, you can never go into a game now saying, yep, we're going to win this because we don't, basically. Yeah, look, I mean, Carlton fans, like, they've been, they're shell-shocked. Like, I, when I was getting to the game on the train, uh, I didn't realise I was, a, I was on a carriage full of Carlton fans until, you know, pulling into Southern Cross Station next to the Oval, they all started putting on their Carlton gear. Like, they were just so conditioned to coughing it that they were hiding until they thought it was safe to come out as Carlton fans. <laughs> um, so that sort of said the mindset of the, the fan base. And then to go in there and then I guess they go, oh, oh, they're terrible. Um, yeah, we, you know, that's that says a lot about our fear factor, which is that there isn't one. Yeah, well, that's it. And look, there was a number of um, points in that last quarter where you just thought, well, you know, if we just did that a bit better, it would have been game over. You know, if Pollock ran into that goal and, and kicked it, they wouldn't have come back and won. You know, there's obviously the Westoff issue. There's Amon getting run down from behind. There's O'Shea's three turnovers. Um and look, honestly, Charlie, if you're going to get in the face of the opposition cheer squad, make sure we win the bloody game. Uh, yeah, I, I don't care that he did that. What, I what, do. What? <laughs> Why? It's just ridiculous. Like, just make sure the game's over before you do that sort of stuff. No, I, I have the other view of that, honestly. I have the absolute other view of that, which is that if you're only willing to do that when the game's over, you're soft. Hmm. Yeah, and that's my view. Fair enough. There's yeah. been a lot of talk about the umpiring. A lot of people um, very, very critical and thought we got hard done by. I thought it was a rort again against uh, Carlton, similar to last year. Um, I've got my thoughts having taken that emotion out of not watching it live and being able to watch it a bit more methodically. How did you feel at the ground the umpiring was? Um, not great, but you expect it, don't you? 
Um, some of them were pretty terrible, like that. Was it play on? Played on? Uh, played against Brendan Archie when he almost had the ball over his head and was tackled immediately without having a chance to dispose. Like that was just a terrible free. But overall, it was pretty ordinary. But it always is, and I don't feel I don't feel it significantly impacted the game. Mm. Um, because the, again, the way we were playing, like if if we had had less freeze against us, I think we still would have had a similar position towards the end of the game. We just would have played less hard. Yeah. You know, we we wouldn't have got we wouldn't have pulled ahead because of it. I don't think. Because mm. um, I don't think we were really in in that mindset as a team and as individual players. I don't think that was the case. So I, I don't think it really heavily impacted the result. Although it was pretty ordinary. Yeah, I didn't find the umpiring all that bad at all. I thought uh, we were lazy. I thought we tried to take the game on in a, in a stupid manner and got caught and got um, got free kicks against us uh, because of that. There was a lot of holding the balls that we got given against us. And I've got to say, pretty much all of them were pretty fair. It was either us uh, trying to sidestep players and getting caught or you know getting run down, you know that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I, I didn't think the umpiring was that bad. Having read the review thread before I watched the game and this, oh, this is bullshit, this is just like the Crows, you know, we've been screwed, da-da-da. Um, I was expecting something pretty bad, but at three-quarter time, I'm here thinking, you know, the, I haven't noticed the umpiring at all. And, and all the free kicks that have been given, I thought, have been there. Um, the, the only contentious decision that I thought was uh, the, the non-mark to Charlie in the last couple of minutes. Mm. I thought that was clearly a mark. Yeah, they pay them all the time now, where you, you visibly stop the bowl, even if it yeah. gets um, knocked out of your hands. If you stop the bowl for any amount of time, um, and hold it cleanly like he did. That's it, yeah. it had to be paid a mark. Yeah, look, I agree on that. Um, and I guess there might be a different, you know, if you're looking at the, the reviews, people, I don't know how many of them went to the game, but I mean, I can understand getting stressed out at the game when Colton, say, every time a Port Adelaide player has the ball and they're touched, they shout ball. Like, they're as bad as Crows fans yeah. for that. Um, yeah. I could see getting irritated at the crowd for that, and I guess you could hear that over the TV too, really. Um, but I don't think that... I don't think it impacted the umpiring display as much as you might think. Yeah. So where do we, where do we go from here? I mean, is it game plan? Is it fitness? Is it mindset? What is the uh, underlying issue with our form at the moment? Um, communication and motivation, really, um, and game plan. So everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, that's fair enough. But I guess the thing that I want to talk about is our, our lack of marking. I think we're 17th for marks. We're 17th uh, for marks inside 50. We, we just don't deliver the ball effectively going forward, whether it's out of defense, whether it's out of the middle, um, trying to pinpoint passes inside 50. We, we're just not good at doing that at this point in time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, mostly because... When we do add, uh, allocate assets to being there to receive that, um, we don't do anything with it. Like, I mean, I saw a, a one play in particular when I went because after the game, I thought oh, I'll double down, I'll have a chance, and hope that hopefully see a win for another game. Uh, I didn't. The D's lost, yeah. but just seeing Watts and Hogan sort of it, like they were doing it by themselves in parts. So you'd have Watts receive or take a mark, you know, on the forward side of the center square, kick forward to Hogan, Hogan to take a mark, and then Watts would be in the goal square or near it, ready to receive from Hogan. Um, you know, they have that. Even they have that sort of teamwork, and I just don't believe that we do really. Or if we do, we try and instead of having two tools doing it, we have like a nippy little bloke like Need trying to find space and have the ball put in front of him, and that doesn't happen either. Um, we've got no, we've got no system. We've got no system. The ball yeah. coming into the forward line. I think we're entirely predictable with how we move the ball 
out of the back mm. line, especially from kick-ins. Like, we, yeah. nobody moves. We kick it to the same spot. No one's going to take a mark in that situation. No. We, we hoof the ball as long as we can. Or we don't seem to hit leading targets at all well. We're, we're very predictable going inside 50. I think Charlie Dixon's the number one player in the competition for uh, for being the inside 50 target. Um, and for being that sort of player, I don't think he's delivered um, on what he should have done at the moment. I think that uh, also says a lot about how we're trying to deliver the ball inside 50. I don't think he should be that far in front in, in terms of being the inside 50 target in the competition. Um, but again, maybe that's, um, that's something that Schultz would have really helped um, this year. Yeah, well, look, he does present... The thing about Schultz is that he does present reliably and he goes on long leads, which makes it easier. The longer your leads are, the easier it is to pinpoint you when you've got the ball and you don't know what you're doing going forward. So that has always helped with Schultz that he does do those long leads. The problem with long leads is everyone can see them and everyone knows what you're going to do. So that can be exposed against good sides. Um, we need to get to a situation like if we're going to win, if we're going to become a better kicking side and a better marking side and all that sort of stuff, we've got to become a side that is really good with with forwards on short leads and the only yeah. way you get good with forwards on short leads is by having very clear system having players know where players are going to lead to um all that sort of thing like that's that's just you've got to up your game in every aspect of player education player management and coaching really yeah and that, that's what we need to be that's that's the future that's how you beat the press that's how you beat all these things is with the the, the um, nfl style west coast offense where you just do really quick little plays that everyone knows to do in advance um, and we don't, we're not anywhere near that. Um, Bulldogs are a lot closer than we are. Um, I think there's kind of a model for how you can beat presses going forward. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I think that that's an area we need to work on. And again, that's coaching failure. That's coaching failure and communication failure. Nope, 100% agree. How disappointing was it to lose this game considering they lost their number one key forward in the first five minutes? Uh, pretty pathetic, but there you go. <laughs> to make matters worth, Matthew Cruz, who got injured in the second quarter, is now out for about four or five weeks with a torn yep. meniscus. Yep. Um, and he, he ended up just about best on or maybe not best on ground, but was certainly the uh, the MVP uh, in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I think he was my uh, immediate for the Carlton game from the preview. And then I thought he yes. might get away from us with that lobby there. And I think there's no doubt that he absolutely did. Um yeah. <laughs> oh, well. How did you see Trengove's game? I thought he, he was pretty good again. Um, won a few hit-outs and, and again, was uh, pretty decent in, in getting the ball forward. I think that what we discussed last week is, came about, which is that he got that one free run at it, and now he has everyone knowing, ah, oh, Trengove's going to do this. So I, I think he's going to find it tough uh, up against Genuine Ruckman. Um, I think he'll have a disadvantage against all of them, but it's not like we have any other choice, so it doesn't really matter. It's not even worth discussing in a lot of ways. Yeah. No well, options. once again, he got thumped in terms of pure raw hitouts, but once yeah. again, like last week, we won the clearances and we had more inside 50. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think he certainly did his job in the middle. I thought he played pretty oh, well. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't think we. I think that going forward, we can expect that to happen less and less. That's yeah. my view. Um, who else did I want to talk about? Hamish Hartlett was his um, one of the least effective twenty-six disposal games you've seen so far this year. Oh, I hardly saw him. <laughs> really, I, I, I was very him. shocked when I saw he had twenty-six touches. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. Hamish Hartlett's five-year deal was on the back of his best AFL season 
and I don't think he'll ever play that again. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I hope he does. I really hope he does. Um, <laughs> so do I. Because we do need Hammer to uh, deliver on his potential and, and become the uh, the match winning superstar that he he shows in glimpses. But at this point in time, I, I feel he's only going to be that sort of Stuart G level, where he sort of has oh. an impact here and there. Um, but doesn't have that sort of consistency to do it on a weekly basis. I'd put him behind Stuart Jew comfortably, but I understand what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I, I think that we've been sold apart in a lot of ways, really. Um, if you look over his whole career, like the number of times he actually has delivered on his uh, ability, it would be, what, maybe 20% at most? Like that's generous. It's probably. about one and a half seasons. He, yeah. he was fantastic in 2014. Um, he had half a, a fantastic year last year. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's one of those situations where we were talking about, you know, Hamish Hartlett getting this huge trade offer, and it's like, oh, really tempting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something that myself and Rick were banging on about for a while, was trading him, yeah. but um, everyone was against it. But I don't nah, know. I, no, I'm happy to I keep him, but I don't know. I, I just want him to become the player that he can be, but I don't know. The, oh, the, the, the jury's still out. It's not going to happen now, I don't reckon. Uh, Brendan Archie, is he in a bit of trouble? Yeah, I've got moment? him. I've got him out. I, 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 he's showing nothing. He's showing nothing, but not only is not only is he showing no performance, he's not showing effort. Yeah. Um, that's like a double. That's that's the two barrels that'll get you shot, isn't it? Basically. Mm. Again, it's a shame because we need his sort of play. We need that second string um, midfielder to come in and give the guys uh, give the first stringers a bit of a chop out. Um, but he's just not capable of doing it at the moment, which is really disappointing because he had such a great finish to the end of last year. And maybe it was the point of him sort of thinking, maybe I really need to pull my finger out here because my career's on the line and he got another one-year contract. Um, I don't know. Are we going to see him sort of pull his finger out again during the second half of this year? I don't know if this is a Port Adelaide-only thing, but it really feels like we have a lot of contract players like a lot yeah. of players that when their contract's up, they play, and when it's not, they're like, oh. <laughs> like I've gone off, I've gone on about Westhoff doing this a lot, um, but he's not the only one. There's plenty. Um, I have no time for that. So I think that he would have to be pretty amazing until the end of the year. Otherwise, I say we talked to Goldcast about sending him up there as part of a brother retention program so they know they'll keep uh, Callum, really, yeah. you know. Like uh, Matthew Carr, basically, sort of deal Matthew Josh Carr thing and say, yeah, there you go, you can play with your brother and then they'll both stay there forever and do whatever until they get delisted. The annoying thing is is I can see him going to another club and, and becoming a, a sort of a dependable first 22 player. Nah. If he I went know, to I can see him being sort of like a Michael Ricciatelli sort of type. Nah. I, I look if I'm if I'm going to give my honest opinion now, I think the only side that he'd be likely to do something like that would be one where he is absolutely peripheral. Um, so if he went to like a GWS at this point, um, and he just got to play, you know, kind of loose on a half forward flank or whatever else all game, then he'd have great opportunity to not not have a, a really major direct opponent and get lots of possession, all that sort of thing. Like that'd be, I think that'd be a sweet gig for any player right now, you know. Yeah. Um, to get that sort of role. I think he'd be okay in that situation, but if he goes to any, you know, middle range, bottom eight side, I think he'll struggle. Yep, that's fair. Anything else you want to add about this week's game? 
look, not really, um, except that we've I've said it a bunch of times, we haven't directly discussed it, and it's just how much this is about coaching. Um, well, well, look, let, let me put this to you. If we miss the finals this year, what happens? Does King get sacked? Does Bokey get... Does Bokey lose the captaincy? Um, I think if Boke loses the captaincy, I know some people have mentioned Ollie Wines, I think it becomes Pittard, not Boke. Um, and wow. Pittard is captain. Yeah, why not? He's, look, he's, he is the one that has the best understanding of how to win a game uh, of any of our players, you know? We know that. Like, even when the rest of the team is playing terribly, most of the time he can find a way through it. Uh, and that's what you want your captain to be able to do, is that when everything goes to shit here, they can find a way through it to still be mostly okay. He wasn't great this week, but most other weeks. And do you certainly think he's the got the off-field career, stuff which comes with the captaincy? Or do you think he's a bit like Brett Kirk in that he's sort of a little bit crazy and um, that would suit him well? We've got 10 million people in the leadership group, so whatever Jasper is, <laughs> you fill the rest of the leadership group to do what he isn't doing, right? Yeah. You know? If if you need if you need a a be best mate to vice captain, I mean I kind of feel that's a lot of what Greg Phillips was when he was a vice captain. Um, then you put in that sort of vice captain, you know, and you have your hard your hard head game focused person as your captain. You know, it's all a complementary thing. That's a leadership team for a reason. It's because you don't all do the same thing. So I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. So what yeah. about Ken? Uh, I think that he might not get sacked, but in my view, the sort of the keys to the car should be taken away. And I don't mean in a coaching sense, I mean in terms of a list management sense. So I think that his instruction should be, okay, look, this isn't working. You're developing the side now. Uh, And to that end, we're not going to do more trades for big name players. We're going to be looking at basically doing a semi-rebuild or as controlled a rebuild as possible. Um, If Ken's cool with that, which I suspect he probably will be, um, then he can stay on. If he's not cool with that, then he can go. But I think that's sort of the situation we're at right now, where we, if we're going to keep playing this game, where if we're going to if we're going to treat Ken like he's going to be sacked any second, that is the absolute worst case scenario for us as a club. Mm-hmm. Um, it ruins all of our sponsorship deals, all these things we're doing in China, because if we're just doing a flat out rebuild and everyone's being sacked and blah blah blah, then as a club, it affects the supporters coming to games and going, oh, why am I coming to games? But if you keep Ken on. And you make it clear, okay, we're doing a reset. Not that we're trying to lose, but that we're realising that we probably need a couple more pieces to get to the top and we need to develop those through the draft. I think people will be mostly okay with it if we keep up a, a decent win rate and maybe just, you know, if we if we do finish outside the finals, we still finish respectively outside, uh, respectively outside the finals. But take away the, the list management um, and become about developing a premiership winning list, which includes rucks and key forwards. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's a good point. Um it will be interesting. I think we may have hamstrung ourselves in terms oh, yeah. of uh, giving him a contract till the end of, uh, what is it, 2018 now, I think it is. Yeah. Um, would but... he have been sacked if he didn't have that contract? Um, it's quite possible. We've seen um, coaches at other clubs get sacked when they've missed finals uh, two years running um, after you know spending big on, on players and that sort of thing. Um, so it's quite possible, in theory, he should have been in trouble. I'm happy to back him in. Um, but I tell you what, the uh, the confidence is fading right about now. Yeah, well, look, it really comes down to like if you know we've, we've already obviously got that contract commitment. If if we didn't, are we going to go and get out a premiership winning coach right now? I don't think we are because no. there's just so much list development to do. We're almost we're basically in a, a transitory period where you really want you know almost to get in your your Justin Lepich type patsy coach to just sort of 
not do anything amazing, but do enough that the players develop and get better at their skill set and their fitness and you know physical development, all that sort of thing, and bring a team together. And then you piss them off and bring in the the the, the uh, superstar in a couple of years' time. So if you take that view, well, I mean, Ken Hinckley, if nothing else, he's capable of, like, he's done it at Geelong. That's the thing. They all talk about him being brilliant about it at Geelong. Is, yeah, he's great with young players. Da, da, da. Well, great. Let's let him be good with young players. If, if we've got to keep him on, let's let him be good with young players um, and, you know, make the changes that need to be made to make it a, an enduring side. And if in three years' time, you know, Ken looks like he's actually got the players on board, he looks like he's got a team together, and maybe we've got an entire coaching team together, we've got some support in, maybe he's got some fantastic ideas for new strategies or whatever else. I don't know, but we might consider it. But in the meantime, it's development side, in my view. Yeah. Okay, well... Time to move on. Okay. And it is competition time. Yay. So, here we go. A massive thanks to everybody who joined our competition to win the two locker room tickets for the West Coast game this weekend. Yeah. Now, we had over 60 entrants, so a a fantastic response. Um, As I said before, I've done the random sort on Excel, um, and I've got the winner here in front of me. So, the winner is Bigfooty Terror. So I, oh. assume I assume that's Terra from Bigfooty. I think that's a fair assumption to make. So congratulations to him. Um, if you want to send me a PM on uh, on Bigfooty, uh, I will give the details of where you can pick up the tickets from. So congratulations to Bigfooty Terra, who's won the two locker room tickets uh, to the West Coast game. Yeah, and look, I think that... Um... If you go along to the game, anyone that didn't win, if you really want those tickets, if you go along to the game with a pair of the Port Adelaide track pants that everyone's obsessed over and say, I'll trade them for locker room tickets, you might be able to find him and get a, the tickets <laughs> off in there. That's it. Well done. <laughs> um, mass, as I said, massive thanks to everybody who uh, joined the competition. We'll have another competition, I'm sure, um, uh, hopefully not too far off. I've got an idea for one, so I've just got to talk to Rick about it. I've uh, got a pretty good idea for one, so... Um, we'll certainly be doing something again in the future, uh, hopefully this year as well. Now, right, let's move on and talk about the SANFL. Port played Woodville West Torrens at Woodville Oval on Saturday and uh, like the power came away with a disappointing uh, loss by 39 points, uh, 6 goals 7 to 12 goals 10. Robbie Young was the only multiple goal scorer with 2 goals. Uh, Port actually led at halftime by two points uh, before a six goals, five to nothing third quarter ended the game as a contest. Yeah. Look, I mean, you said you took your oldest to the game. How did that yep. go? That's my first question. That's the most exciting thing. Yeah. Look, it was great. <laughs> it's, it's been really fun. He's um, He's been sort of 50-50 about going for a little while. So I just thought, well, I'd put him in the car and say, this is what we're doing. He was pretty excited about it. He had his grandpa there as well. So oh, good. had plenty, plenty to do. And, you know, he got, he got involved in the first quarter, sort of watched the game a bit and found it really hilarious how sort of all the players were sort of piling on top of each other and tackling. And he had no idea what was going on. But, um, yeah, it was pretty good. He was clapping when he was supposed to clap. And, as I said, he was yelling out, go port a lot. And, uh Got a bit bored through the second quarter. We had a kick on the oval at halftime and uh, and went home after that. Um, and then uh, watched the disaster of the second half on the TV. So, uh, no, good. he was good. He was good. Oh, fantastic. All right. I guess I'll ask a footy question now. Um, I see that Sam Cahoon had a bunch of disposals. Were they were they good disposals or were they just sort of like SNFL accumulated disposals? Not overly. That's not a uh, that's not a typo on the SNFL website. He did have twenty marks as well, but 
Um, mm. He was basically playing the old Joel Bowden role in a back uh, pocket. Oh, no. He was sitting in a back pocket. And look, it's not his fault because he was he was trying to create the play. And look, his skills were good. He was hitting targets. He was trying to create something. But it was just the endless switching of the play, which we yeah. saw you know, circa 2005 six, um, <sighs> which is why he got so much of the ball, basically. And, you know, he was... Oh, I don't know. He, I, I didn't think his impact on the game was um, was all that great, but um, he was at least trying. Are there any of the power players that you would think actually, you know, if we had an okay team, you'd consider promoting? I mean, I know someone's probably going to get promoted anyway, but is anyone that you'd say, yeah, they, they, they deserve a, a shot? Is anyone in the team right now? Look, Kane Mitchell keeps performing week in, week out. And I know he's uh, certainly not a fashionable player, um, but he's one that's um, certainly putting performances forward. I thought he was pretty good again on the weekend. Um, and had a bit of a... <laughs> I think he was um, playing against Petrenko, and I don't think they like each other too much because they were having a go at each other all day. So that was uh, that was amusing. Um, Jesse Palmer was pretty decent again. He had 25 touches and, and uh, six marks. Dougal Howard was, again, I thought, um, pretty good. He got uh, reported for... I'm not sure what he got reported for. It was a kick, I think. Um, it was hard to sort of tell where I was sitting, and it was a bit of a disaster after that. Uh, but he, he played really well. He had 16 touches, 8 marks, um, played pretty well in the ruck. Um, Butcher was an on-event this weekend. Sam Gray mm. had a lot of the bowl, 27 touches. He had 10 tackles, but his, um, his delivery of his foot skills was deplorable. Absolutely uh. disgusting. So he's no chance of coming back in, in my opinion. Do you think that we've seen officially the end of John Butcher now that he's dropped his bundle? Well, it might be a little bit early to say he's dropped his bundle because he has been very, very good all year. This is his first sort of down game, I guess. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's very likely he'll come out uh, in the next game and, and have another good one. So, yeah, it might be a little bit too early to say about that. Bobby Carlisle was obviously out there as well. Um, I thought he had a really good first half and uh, and fell away quite uh, dramatically from there. Mm-hmm. I guess the other one that I want to talk about is Dan Houston. That's the first time I've seen him play. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought I was very impressed. I were, he, he runs hard. He was working up the field quite a bit. Really clean hands. Uh, was able to pick up the ground ball um, at ease. Uh, really neat skills. Um. Yeah, I was very, very impressed with how he played on the weekend in what is his uh, second SANFL game. What position was he playing? Kind of half-forward flank, uh, pushing up to the wing. So I guess um, I wouldn't really call it the Monfries role, maybe sort of like a, a 2013 Chad Wingard role, I guess. So like a Schofield role? Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a role we need to fill, so, you know, that's mm. good. <laughs> no, that's true. Yep, that's very true. Austin, again, I've, I liked his game. I like Logan Austin. I think he's got a, a big future at Port Adelaide. So it mm. uh, will be interesting to see um, who comes into the side next week, uh, considering there's probably three or four players that deserve to come out of the power lineup, but uh, probably not many that deserve to go in. So maybe Jesse Palmer gets his debut this week. Yeah, well, why not? I mean, it's really almost the point where you say, okay, anyone we're thinking about delisting, maybe give them a game, one last shot, one last hurrah. Um, but yeah, give it a, give a debut. Why not? Yeah. If Jesse Palmer, if we think Jesse Palmer's good, and look, his SNFL performance from what you said, uh, it's been pretty good. 
what we hear each week. So uh, yeah, give him a go. Why not? It can't it can't be awful. Yeah, he's been reasonably consistent. He's had one or two poor games, but um, other than that, he's been pretty consistent. So I think he deserves a shot. He was pretty close last year. Um, be interesting to see how he goes uh, in the side, and we certainly need some more sort of marking targets up forward. So he's certainly one to uh, to look out for. Um, and I guess it'll be interesting to see if Bobby Carlisle comes straight back in this week or if they'll give him another week in the reserves. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a bit of a much of a muchness in a lot of ways. But, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes as well, like how well he's coming back from his fitness, how long he might have to play at a centre level to even be considered, if he is considered, to come back. We don't know. But, yeah, um, yeah hopefully he's OK and he can at least play SNFL senior level. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well... That's yeah. about it for this evening, I think. Can I add one thing to the game player reviews, which I wanted to talk about because I, I forgot to talk about them, and that's Aaron Young. Now, Aaron Young, I think he played pretty well, but listening to the post-match conference with Ken Hinckley, he said Aaron did some good things, but there are a bunch of things we told him to do that he wasn't doing. How did you feel about Aaron Young in this game? I thought he was probably our second-best player. I thought defensively he was very good. Um, he was throwing himself on the ball and winning it and dishing it out. Uh, kicked a goal, gave off, uh, I thought, at least two or three others. I thought he was very good. Yeah. But if there's something it. that he's not doing in terms of positioning or structure mm. or chasing or maybe he's meant to push up the field a bit more but he wasn't doing that or maybe he was meant to yeah. hang back, I don't know. Only the coaches would know that. Yeah, it just I've got to say it surprised me a little bit because I thought he played a pretty solid game, but if the coaches aren't happy, then he didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, there's obviously something that he was supposed to do, which he didn't do, which um, I don't know, I guess we went th- through that with Polek a few weeks ago against uh, GWS, uh, where a lot of people thought mm. he played well, but um, he got dropped and defensively he was pretty poor. So I don't know, yeah. maybe there's, there's, there was something clear that he wasn't doing, but yeah, as I said, I thought he was our second best player behind Wines and... As I've said, he's having a monster year, so good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pollock was pretty ordinary in this game as well, I, I thought, in terms of his teamwork. He, 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 I think he got a rocket around about half time because he came back and he did a bit more work after that, but early on I think he was pretty ordinary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, all right. That was all. No worries. All right, well, thanks for coming on again. Thank you. It was it was good to, to vent a little bit, and I think what was really good about doing these shows on the Monday night is that you have all of Sunday night and Monday to get all the really stupid, you know, angry, emotional stuff out of the way and talk about it hopefully a little bit more constructively. So I think that was good. That's it. (laughs) Mm. Love it. Well, we will speak to you again on Thursday uh, when we preview the West Coast game. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) It's a cheeky laugh. (laughs) Well, you know... I mean, admittedly, we have a a surprisingly good record against West Coast, and West Coast do have their reputation for not travelling all that well. So we are in it with a real shot, but it's just hard to see right now. Oh, look, right at this minute, I think West Coast is in by about 14 goals. (laughs) Right? But uh, we will see. I mean, I thought St Kilda would be at least sort of keep them competitive, but nah. (laughs) Like, if they're they're doing it St Kilda in in Perth, it's like, even if it's any... A lesser version of that, it still could be devastating. So, could be, could be. Mm, I guess we'll see. That's it. All right. No worries. Okay. I shall speak to you on Thursday. Yeah. And uh, until then, can't report. Can't
Butcher. Oh, I got to do it that time. Butch. <laughs> Gets the ball across towards the teammate. Ritz hand pass, though. Slapped. But now needs away. Everything falling into place. Need the beneficiary running down towards the 50. Lines up. Bacon goal square. How about this? This is breathtaking.